Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is for you. Just happy that you're here. Uh, on this episode, I talk about a trip I had to California some years ago. Um, something that uh, happened in my hometown. A tragedy that happened to a friend of mine. And uh, just some other things that I experienced in life, you know. I didn't have any talking points set out for this episode like I usually do. Um, I just didn't write them down this week. Just because this week was a little weird with my schedule and everything. Um, but next week I'll be a little more prepared. I have a couple ideas that I want to delve into. And uh, I haven't really done that in the past couple episodes um, for whatever reason. So we're going to get back to that, get back into my journal and things like that, get Back into the exploration of the human condition, you know. I like that kind of, uh, those kind of discussions, those kind of ideas, they have substance, so. But I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll go ahead and uh, get right into it, and I hope you enjoy. Sunday, February 23rd, 4.27 in the afternoon, and I'm here doing my podcast like I typically like to do on Sundays, and I haven't done a whole lot today. You know, I actually just got back uh, from this food truck up the road, and um, I'm an absolute fan of food trucks and like concession foods, as long as they're places that are really well done because I've had some food truck food that was just terrible tasted like ass and then uh, I've had others that was absolutely amazing they can have some places that are world-renowned and I don't know I remember watching uh, what was that parts unknown with Anthony Bourdain and uh, one of the episodes he was with us I forget the gentleman's name but they were going to all these different food trucks and stuff. So I've always been a fan of that. A lot of that street uh, vendors. Um, another big thing I like is the street performers, people who like dance, um, do acts, uh, musicians, all that kind of stuff. I've always been fascinated by that. I'm not really sure where that came from. I think that's just more so the artist in me, the musician in me. I kind of, uh, it kind of allows me to appreciate that a little bit more. So I always go out of my way to check that stuff out. I remember one of my first um, big experiences with that kind of stuff was the first time I went down to Key West. In Mallory Square, they have that whole waterfront lined with performers um, for those of you that been there, you know what I'm talking about. There's a, a gentleman there that has trained cats that he does all have he has them do all these different kind of uh, stunts and things. There's people there that do all kinds of acrobatic stuff. Um, 
I'm not really sure what you would call them, but they balance on top of things, and it's very, some very dangerous shit, you know, if they mess up, they could hurt themselves, and obviously there's a bunch of musicians and things like that as well, but I've always been drawn to that, and uh, it kind of reminds me of when I went to New Orleans, they had a in front of what I assumed was a giant church, they had a bunch of uh, performers dancing and playing different kind of instruments at different parts of the park that we were at. It's like each part of that park you went to was a different world, you know, drew in a different, different crowd, some sort of different spectacle going on to uh, captivate your attention. And I appreciate that kind of stuff, so it's just something I always look for. And it's, as with that, with the entertainment of that, it's like that with food, in a sense. You know, you go to all these different food trucks, they have their own, you know, their own, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, just their own style, you know. There's this food truck in, in California that I want to go to. I forget the guy's name. He found a way to blend, like, um, I want to say he's Korean, but he found a way to blend, like, his traditional Kore- Korean food into, like, a food truck culture and, and like, the Latin influence or the Mexican influence that is in California. He found a way to blend that, and he has a few trucks around there, and I want to, if I ever make it out there again, I want to, uh, I want to go check that out. Speaking of California, I haven't been out there and shit. I went out there for the summer of 2014. And I went out there for like almost a month. It was a good experience. I had to help my buddy. He was getting out of the Marines in Camp Pendleton. And uh, he needed, you know, somebody to basically drive back with him. All the way across the country, you know, he had to bring back all his equipment, all his personal belongings, everything, as well as a vehicle. So I went out there and helped him with that. And I got to experience a part of the country that I otherwise would have never had. Um, I shouldn't say never, but I basically was afforded an opportunity to go do something new, and I took it. One, I got to like see Camp Pendleton. That was what, that was cool. Because growing up as a kid, I was always fascinated with like the military, um, firearms and weaponry and all that kind of stuff. It was uh, something that I just was absolutely fascinated with. And uh, my friend that I went out there to help, you know, we we both grew up with that kind of fascination, and he obviously took it into the military and now he is a gunsmith and uh so it was cool to go out there and see all the different military buildings the equipment and everything all the soldiers and all of that that was uh that was something i really enjoyed and on, on top of all that um camp pendleton uh was at oceanside uh all the way down to san diego that whole area is beautiful there was one place in particular that I went to that I absolutely loved, and it was La Jolla Cove. And it's just this um, small little section of the coast. 
but it has all these little uh, like rock faces and cliffs and stuff that overlook the water. You can go down to the beach. The beach is uh, they had a nice beach. However, on this particular day, there was very large waves. <laughs> so the waves were just crashing ashore. And uh, with each of those waves, it would crash into the shoreline and like knock people off their feet and stuff and uh, try to like pull kids back out into the ocean. And um, it, it was funny because you'd see parents clamoring around to, to grab their children when the waves came crashing in. Yet they stood out there in, in the water still. So I'm like, all right. Uh, but I remember just standing there looking like, wow, this place is absolutely beautiful. And that's a place I'd like to go back and visit again sometime soon. But we'll see what life dictates. Um, but I also was afforded the opportunity to train at Alliance. Uh, and I forget which exact the exact one I went to. Because there's two Alliance MMA gyms down there. There's the Chula Vista one and then I think Alliance East. I might have those confused. I probably do. But I was able to go down there and train. And uh, I met Carl Parisian and... Uh, Miles Fury, who's originally from Michigan, was there training. And I was able to train there through a mutual friend of my uh, friend that I was there to help, who was also in the military. Um, and uh, he's the one that was training and fighting out of Alliance. Jeff is his name. His fighting nickname the uh, the administrator, <laughs> which is an interesting nickname. That's, it's kind of cool. But I got to train with him and uh, Matt um, Sales and uh, a few other guys a couple times while I was there, which was nice, you know, just a change in pace. I was still amateur at the time, so I got, it kind of allowed me to see what a, uh, a higher-level gym, what it was like to train at a higher-level gym. And it was – I absolutely fell in love with it. It was, it was wonderful. I think uh, Neil Melanson – I probably butchered his last name uh he was the head coach there at the time i believe and uh that's who i we did some classes with him and he showed some stuff and then um wilson hayes was the uh jiu-jitsu coach there and i don't know if he still is or not but did some grappling with him and stuff like that and it was a good it was a good time there's a whole bunch of gyms in that area i randomly stopped into a 10th planet gym while I was there, and uh, Gio Martin Martinez was like the head coach there. I didn't know who this guy really was at the time, but come to find out, he's and it was like an Eddie Bravo black belt, or was about to be an Eddie Bravo black belt. I'm not sure if he was at the time, but it was uh, Tenth Planet Oceanside, and uh, at least I think that was the name of it, or was it the Spartan MMA place? Anyways, there's all these gyms, like I said. But I got to go in there and train with all those people. And I've never gone and actually trained with a bunch of 10th Planet people. And for those of you who don't know what 10th Planet is or what the hell I'm talking about, it's people, it's a style of grappling for uh, jiu-jitsu that is um, very clinch heavy. They use a, uh, an entirely unique system that was developed by Eddie Bravo. And it's like, a, it's it's basically he took high guard and created an entire system from it and it just mutated into this entire entire new breed of jujitsu 
and it's really good for MMA because again, it's you're allow it allows you to control your opponent's postures and stuff like that. So, anyways, I go into this gym and it's just full of these guys, and I got to grapple with them, and I got fucked up because I just wasn't used to dealing with that. And like, man, these guys were uh, just—it was a completely different perspective. It was a lot of fun, you know. And then I got to train. Where else did I go? Oh, I got to go to uh, Team Quest. Uh, Team Quest. Um, what the hell was the name of that place? Team Quest Oceanside, I think it was. And I go in there, and I'm like, holy shit, Sokaju's teaching. Sokaju is somebody I watched in Pride coming up, you know, as with, like, Carl Parisian at Alliance. So I was in awe. I'm like, wow, this is a judoka that I watched, you know, when I first got into fighting and things like that. And here's Sokaju teaching. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So I got to learn some Muay Thai and stuff from him. And I worked with this, uh, I think his name's Chris Herrera. And so he, he was a, a pro fighter, ended up fighting in Bellator and stuff like that. So I got to meet some good people. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was California is a hotbed for all that stuff. There's so much different stuff to do there. I still haven't gone to North California. I really want to see the red uh, redwood forest, those giant, massive trees. That is probably just you probably can't even put it into words it's something you'd probably have to go and experience so that's definitely on the bucket list to go see that you know um however one thing that was cool after my visit there we, like i said we had to drive back we drew drove a u-haul towing a um car back from camp pendleton all the way to southern michigan and we made that drive in like three days i think four days so I got to see the entire like United States, and it was it was quite the uh, quite the trip. It was it was rough because we did it in such a short time, but I got to see a lot of different things that you can only see by driving. You know, just in the heart of of America, driving state to state, meeting different people. It was quite the experience. I will say this though. And I'm sorry for those of you who live in Nebraska. As soon as you get past Colorado, as soon as we got out of De out of Denver, it was just like cornfields all the way from Denver to fucking Chicago. <laughs> so that was not a fun trip. It was just the same thing over and over again. Um, I did learn a fun fact, though. Uh, in Nebraska... And I could be wrong, but I Googled it at the time. In Nebraska, there's no roads or anything named Martin Luther King Boulevard. There's only one school. Um, this is how much time I had on my hands. I was just bored. And um, there also the only thing that broke up the monotony was there was a – I don't know what it was or why it happened – but we were driving along the highway, and then they had the highway blocked off by several police and some other kind of unmarked vehicles for a long stretch. And it was like, it wasn't your conventional detour. They just had, like, people stationed to tell you where to go. So and then we couldn't find anything 
on the radio or any news event that was happening there. So I'd assume whatever it was, it was probably something political. Maybe there was the president was driving through or something. I don't I don't fucking know. But anyways, that's the only other thing that broke up the monotony of driving through hours upon hours upon hours of cornfields. But eventually we made it to Chicago and it was it was easy from there. So But I miss California. You know, I got to stay out there for a few weeks. And it was nice. I don't know. That me bringing up that story is probably more so because I've been thinking more and more about how I want to travel a lot. And uh I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to make that happen because it's uh I don't know. I think I think uh you have to travel, man. You can't be stuck in a bubble your whole life. I've been fortunate enough to be to many different cities all over the country. Um I haven't gone abroad yet, but that's coming. And uh I know some people who've never left my hometown. So you have people that have never left their hometown. It's just their perspective on on the world and life is, is just very limited. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I was able to to get outside of that. It's a hats off to my mom more than anything because she was like a nomad. We were all over the place. I remember as a kid, we lived here in Florida for a short period of time between Vero Beach and Melbourne. Oh, yeah, Vero Beach and Melbourne. So we got to, uh, I got to see Florida as a young child. So that was nice. But yeah, man, if you have an opportunity to go somewhere and you haven't been, take it. Don't even worry about anything. Just go for the experience. You won't regret it. All right, I'm going to shift gears here. I don't know, I went on some weird travel tangent there. Uh, I watched the Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fight last night. I'll be honest, I didn't watch the entire fight, like every second of every round, because I was doing other things while I had it up. But um, to me, it looks like it looked like Tyson Fury just, just outboxed um, Wilder, just pressured him down, or uh, pressured him down, walked him down and, and kept the pressure on him uh being that fury was the bigger heavier man he kind of weighed on him you know clenched with him got him tired a little bit and just just kept that pressure on him man like the the, tyson fury is such a strange and and rare type of person he's such a large man i forget how big he is like six seven six eight some ridiculous height all all legs and and arms and the guy can move he has great footwork and great head movement he's he's an elusive guy he's hard to hit has a really good jab and as you've seen in that fight he was able to just pretty much dictate the fight with a jab and 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 forward pressure you know and uh obviously among other things but it was really a sight to behold and uh that man's story, it couldn't be any more of a like a movie script type of, of story. You know, the guy was champion, ended up retiring, battling 
alcoholism and, and, and drug habits and drug addiction. Um, I believe he lost a child all in the span of this, like, two, three years that he was away from the sport. Um, had a lot of serious issues with mental health, became suicidal, and was at just the lowest point of his life. And uh, he had the um, the resolve to be able to see what he was doing, how he was, li- how he was living, how close to that precipice he was. And um, he was able to turn it all around and basically have an ultimate comeback story to where he came from that just lowest point to the absolute high of world champion, which he achieved last night. And, uh, and that's an amazing story, man. Like, I love seeing things like that. You know, it just, it's such a promising and, and, and wonderful thing to see have happen for somebody. And, and it couldn't happen to a better person. Yeah, he talk, like he talks a lot of shit and stuff like that. He's a gamesman, you know. It's like you have to be able to entertain as well as fight. And he does both very well. Um, but that man d- does a lot of things out of the goodness of his heart. You know, he'll donate money to to people in need. And he um, speaks very, very candidly about his uh, life experiences. And about that experience uh, that I just shared with you with his you know, basically hitting rock bottom. So to see that, it's it's like, man, that's a hell of a comeback story. It's it's uh it's good to see, you know. So if you haven't watched the fight, check it out, you know. If nothing else, even if you're not a fan of fighting, go follow Tyson Fury's story. I uh I guarantee you'll get something out of it, you know. He's um he's a per he's a person worth Worth, worth following what they're doing in life. I bought this new audio book. Um, I, I can't remember if I spoke about this on my last podcast or not, but it's uh, by Jocko Willenick and uh, Leif Bablin or Babin. I, I, I'm terrible with that guy's last name. But it's called Extreme Ownership. And uh, this is a different book. I'm not used to reading this, or not reading, but listening to this kind of book. Um, because it's, he's using, essentially he's using the tactics and, um, not tactics, just the strategies and tactics and methods that he employed in the Navy SEALs to command his men and, uh, other great commanders used. Um, he, he's finding ways for you to use those and all the aspects of your life of your life pertaining to whatever area it is that you need it to work for because they're pretty much universal principles you know you follow the idea of extreme ownership it's going to make you a better leader and um like i said i'm fresh into this book so i don't have the entire concept of extreme ownership understood you know i this is something that you have to digest it's it's a lot of information but essentially, from what I'm getting, or what I've gotten so far, is extreme ownership is just not making excuses. You know, there's no bad teams. There's only bad leaders, and uh, you can't play, place the blame elsewhere if mistakes are made. You know, you have to be accountable for that, and you have to own that, find a way to fix it, and 
you know, be able to communicate with the people that you're working with. But I like that. It's it's not only a concept that works just in a work setting or um, if you've got a team that you're in charge of, but this is something that you can use with relationships with other people and things like that. It's just a, like I said, it's like a universal principle that you can apply to all aspects of life. So it's interesting. I like it. I followed some of Jocko's podcasts. I'm following him on Instagram and stuff like that for a while. I like the content that he puts out. He's an intense guy. He's a very hard, hard-nosed guy. He's um, a Navy SEAL, you know, and those guys are a different breed. I've always gravitated towards the mentality of those people. And uh, I think one of the reasons why I like Jocko so much is I see a lot of parallels in his perspective on life and mine. Um, obviously we've come from two entirely different walks of life, but we have a lot of mutual views and, uh, I like, I like the, the type of, um, stuff he puts out. So it's just, it's only natural that, that I check out his books and stuff like that. He has another book out. Um, I think it's dichotomy of leadership. We'll check that out probably after this. I have an entire list of books that I need to go through. But uh, I haven't been listening to a lot of podcasts lately just because I've been doing all these audio books. I typically listen to podcasts while I drive and when I get up in the morning and do my whole morning stuff. But instead, I've been uh, replacing that with these audio books. And uh, so I haven't been able to listen to too much outside of that. Which I want to set aside some time for that just because I, I always want to get um, multiple streams of information coming in, you know, from just different people. Uh, shit, because there for a minute I was listening to, obviously, Joe Rogan, um, Esther Perel, who else? Uh, uh, Christopher Ryan, um, what's that other person's name? I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyways, I would have like four or five podcasts I would listen to at one time, you know, just because it's like you're getting several different information, uh, several different ideas coming at coming in at once. So it just, I don't know, it sparks you to think, you know, you kind of have aha moments like, oh, I never thought about that or that's uh, an interesting idea and kind of makes me want to go sit back and think about it. And uh, plus you get to learn about interesting people you know like for instance the christopher ryan um and the jocko willenick now that i think about it uh both of which i well i found out about through the joe rogan podcast so it's like i try to listen to that stuff and see what kind of guests they have on and then i can go follow those guests that i find interesting so it's just something cool you know I haven't really been drinking coffee lately, but I'm uh, drinking some today. I'm drinking a cafe con leche. It's a very sweet coffee, and I'm about to be awake as a motherfucker because this is Cuban coffee. They put a lot of sugar in their Cuban coffee, yeah. and I'd assume, I don't know if there's any science behind whether or not Cuban coffee is actually stronger than regular coffee. In terms of flavor, it is for sure, but... As far as the caffeine, I'm not sure. But I know one thing. It's definitely got a lot of fucking sugar in it. So 
that's one thing that's going to get you going. <laughs> and I'm starting to feel it. She got me sweating. I'm over here like, whew. But um, I got to spend a little bit of time with my uncle yesterday. He's uh, transitioning out of, I don't really know what you would call it. It's like a halfway house, I guess, or halfway house community thing. I don't even know. It's a program that he's in because he was got in trouble, you know, and he has a long history of drug abuse and, a, and an addiction. And then, you know, it's just something that runs in our family. And uh, it, it's nice to be able to see him go through all this and hopefully have it change his perspective on the world. Because I feel like um, in order for you to be able to kind of transition away from an old life, you have to fully accept your new life and essentially die. You know, you, that old you has to die. There's going to be some, like, trace habits and stuff that are going to follow you through, and, and especially with addiction, you know. My knowledge is limited on addiction, but I do understand that's something that's going to be underlying and it's always going to be there. But that's not to say that the old version of yourself you can kill off and allow you to have a fresh foundation upon which you can build a new and improved, better version of yourself, more more healthy habits, uh, build a community around yourself of people that are striving for similar goals. Um, and plus, you're doing things that kind of help reinforce the decisions that you've made. You know, you've decided to take on a new direction in life. You know, like for instance, he's decided to go to school, to go to college. And for me, that's awesome to see. I love I love to see that because uh, it just reminds me of myself, you know. I, I, I was there. I did the same exact, like, type of thing. So, and I know how difficult it can be. And he's he's doing uh he's doing the right thing, you know, and he has people that care and love about him or care and and, and love him. And uh you know, I, I do what I can to help him. And I've tried to visit as much as I can while I, while uh he was up here. We typically hung out once once a week or so. And uh, I went. And I remember I went and visited him at that little facility thing that he was at, and it just reminded me so much of, of being in in, in prison. It was it was interesting because I was the visitor this time, and uh, it's just the structure of it and everything. It was very familiar, and it just took me, it took me to, to that time, and it's weird how that happens, how the mind works, because uh, the moment I was in that environment, man, it's just like. It all came back to me, shit, I forgot. And I, you know, you have all this information stored in your brain and you don't even realize it's there until you have something that triggers that, you know, like with a smell or something that reminds you of something that happened in your childhood. Same thing uh, applies with this. You know, I sat there and they had like the little barracks and a little chow hall and a recreational area and a track. And uh, I was like, holy shit, man. This is this is weird. <laughs> I kind of was like uncomfortable. Like, uh, I don't really want to be here. But, I mean, whatever. We made it work. But anyways, all that bullshit aside, he's getting out of that. 
he com you know completed that step, which is a major step for him. You know, and it just it, it makes me happy to see that he's taking it serious. You know, the real test, though, as with everything, um, is well, the real test rather is when he gets out and goes back to that environment that he was in. That's the toughest part. So when I got out, that was probably my biggest challenge. And get prior to getting out, I knew that I was going to have some environmental risks in terms of my peers and friends and everything, my family. Not all of them were living the most honest lifestyle. And I knew I like to have fun, so I was susceptible to be influenced by that, you know. So the same thing applies to him. You know, he's going to get out, and you're still going to be on paper. What that means is you'll be on probation. And in my case, I was on parole. In his case, he'll be on probation. And you go out, and you're around a lot of the people that you knew prior to going in. And a lot of those people haven't changed. They're still living that, that same exact lifestyle. And now you're right back in the mix. And now the question is, do you fall back in line with that lifestyle and that line of thinking, or do you separate yourself from it? And that's where the challenge is going to lie for him. You know, that's just me being honest. That's just how it, that's just how it is. This is fucking life. That's how it is. That entire responsibility re relies on him. And, uh, and I will help him in any way I can to, uh, to have him avoid that. But I, I, he's an intelligent person. I'm sure he'll uh, be able to navigate his way through that. One can only hope. Um, but it's just easy to go back into that environment and get sucked right back into what everybody else is doing, you know. And when I first got out, uh, that's exactly what happened. I had no sense of like who I was, what my identity was. When I got out, I was five twenty two zero ninety five, inmate Brandon Sanford. You know, I kind of was like institutionalized to a degree, and uh, that was my identity. And um, I had to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. In the during the course of figuring that shit out, I kind of got sucked back into that, to that crowd, you know, kind of partying a little bit, going out drinking, hanging out late, dealing with people that I probably shouldn't be, hanging around with people I shouldn't be in places I definitely should not be. And I had some close calls, you know, where I very well could have gone back to jail. Um, and with, I wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, maybe. Who knows? But... I had to make a decision and that decision was like, all right, do you want to go back to that place that you just left or do you want to fucking live a different life and stay out and not be another statistic? And I had to really look inside and answer that question and I knew exactly what I had to do. So I just cut everybody off, started going to school and started training. And I've said it before. This is like a, something I've, probably people will get sick of hearing but for me it was martial arts and mma that's what i invested my entirety of my being into so that's what allowed me to cut everybody off so what i'm hoping with my uncle is 
having gone through this entire experience and being so close to going to prison for a long time, he's able to separate himself from that and find something that he can invest himself in. Hopefully it's a career, you know, or something like that. He can go into college and find something that he's passionate about and then just invest himself in it, be it be it work, a business, whatever, you know. So fingers crossed. He has a a big challenge ahead of him, but I think uh he has the perseverance to uh to make it through all of that. So I'm rooting for him. There's so much violence in my hometown. It's so sad. A friend of mine, uh, her brother, was shot and killed in his driveway a few days ago. And just randomly. I don't really know what the details of it are. I think it's an ongoing investigation. But this happens all the time. It's, uh... It... it I don't know I don't know if it's because there's more access to information now um, that we're always seeing there is some crimes happening because it's just social media and everything is just out there all the time. It can be reported more quickly, spread much more easily as opposed to when I was younger. Uh, we didn't have as much access to information. Um, that's not to say that you know crime, was any different than it could have been the same or it could have been worse. I don't know if it's worse now or then or what the case is, but it seems like I'm seeing it often in my hometown where people are getting shot, people are ODing on drugs, people are burglarizing, robbing, assaulting, violent shit happening all the time. And it's a, it's a sad thing to see, especially with senseless acts of violence against a 14-year-old kid. Man, this kid was 14. And uh, he didn't even know what life was. And it's just ended abruptly. And I'd assume he's probably killed by somebody not much, uh, with, with not much difference in age. That's my assumption, you know. And uh, you see that a lot. It kind of reminds me. I don't know if any of you from Jackson are familiar with this story, but I met a kid. And this was when I was 17. I just got locked up. And uh, this kid was young. He couldn't. He was already locked up for a few years when I met him. But he was like 20 years old, 21 years old. But he shot a kid at a payphone over his shoes. Uh, this was across the street from Greenwood Party Store, I believe, uh, down in the south side of Jackson. And uh, this is prior to 2004, so early 2000s anyways I met this kid and uh, it was so bizarre because you see the kind of lifestyle that these kids grew up in their values and everything is it's very uh, it's a dog eat dog you know they have to get get by the only way they know how and it's typically they're raised in an environment of violence an environment of just I take what I can get as it comes, you know. I got to take, I got. they're very opportunistic. And uh, that's what this kid was. So he shot this kid for his shoes, and he was prideful about it. I remember asking him about this because he knew I was from Jackson. 
and he made it a point to let me know he was from Jackson. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm from Jackson. I wish I could remember the kid's name. But uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm here for life, you know, because I shot a kid over over his shoes. And I remember him saying this. This was right out in front. I was at Saginaw Correctional Regional Facility, and we were on the front basketball court. And I just remember his face light up when he talked about this. And he had just, he was prideful, and his eyes lit up. And you could just tell it was, uh, that's all he knew. And you see that a lot with uh, with the youth, you know. This is from that demographic and, and from that environment. That's all they know, you know. I mean, shit. You're raised in an environment of violence. You know, that's all you're going to know. Violence is what you become. And that's what he was. He was the epitome of violence. And it was something that he was uh, he was very, very proud of, you know. And I think about him from time to time. I'm like, I wonder what his mentality is now. I wonder if if now that he's matured, if his perspective on things change. Because I've met people who were locked up 30 or 40 years for murder. And, uh, you know, they lived an entire lifetime. And, you know, they were not... They were not happy with the decision they made. They know they made that wrong decision, but that's not the person that they are anymore, you know. used to play chess with this guy. He was locked up, like, I don't know, 30 years at the time. And uh, it was for murder. And he was a very wise, intelligent man, you know. He just dedicated his life to just knowledge. That's all he could do, you know. He's never getting out. He's never going to go home. His parents were dead. Most of his family was dead. Nobody comes and visits him anymore. And uh, I think he was 19 or something like that when he killed somebody in like a robbery or something like that. And, uh, you know, he's 30 years later. That was not who he was. You know, I mean, yeah, he made that decision. But I'd, I'd assume if that man was out on the streets today... He wouldn't be worried about hurting other people, you know. It's just interesting how some people have that kind of mentality early on, because obviously when you're younger, you have this entire your entire perspective on fucking life is so different. Like my perspective on life ten years ago to now was completely different. So it's just interesting to see somebody transition from that wild ass younger person who was so crazy to the point they took another person's life to this like stoic very intelligent very well educated and articulated person you know that dedicates their their life to knowledge and and things like that so to wrap that all the way around to this kid i was talking about i'm curious if his perspective changed if he's as prideful if there was any remorse, if that was just a facade to kind of, you know, reinforce his ego, to be boastful amongst his peers and things like that. I wonder if now he's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm never getting out, so there's no point for me to, you know, try to be 
tough for my boys or anything like that. I don't know. I just think about that from time to time. Let's see what the Florida man has been up to. I'm curious. He's a, a very busy individual. And, uh, well, shit. It's always, it's always some violent stuff Florida man is up to. This is terrible, actually. Florida man arrested after girlfriend is dragged and run over. So this happened in Lake City, Florida. I said a woman was dragged several, several hundred feet on a Florida highway while holding onto the door of a truck before she lost her grip and was run over by the same vehicle and died. That's absolutely horrendous. And he left the scene of the crime. Uh, the, the guy's name was Ryan LeBoss. He was 44. And... Yeah, there's really no context to it. This guy's just a psychopath. And that's sad. Well, there ain't even no humor about that. I thought that was... Yeah, alright. Well, we're going to go on to the next one. Um... Well, that's terrible. It's all violent stuff. Florida man negligently fires a gun and accidentally kills his roommate. So he's improperly handling the gun and it discharged and killed his roommate. People, if you own a firearm, learn how to fucking properly handle that, clean it, and all the safety um, precautions that go with it. Because that is a tool that can end life in a fraction of a second. You know, all it takes is one wrong move and somebody's life's over. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, here's one. Florida man arrested for loitering in neighborhood says he was checking security systems for President Donald Trump. This guy looks like he's been smoking meth. Um, yeah, this guy's definitely on the meth. Uh, this is Cape Coral. He said he was lurking around the neighborhood. Um, a homeowner, he was around somebody's house. The homeowner asked him what he was doing, and he looked. He, he said to the homeowner, he's just enjoying the view. So he was looking at the house, apparently. This guy was all fucked up. Um, and he told the police that he was just checking security systems and that he was a representative of President Trump. Yeah, this guy was tripping. He was looking to break into somebody's house. Another guy fatally shot himself while playing with a gun. Florida man needs to take some firearm safety lessons. That's, that's what needs to happen. Florida man waiting for haircut fatally shot himself while playing with a gun. Come on. Come on. God damn it. Um, the rest of these are, they're all so violent. <laughs> Everything's so violent this, this time. It's not even anything funny. It's just some brutal shit. This week's Florida man is not as entertaining as I had hoped. It's just violent. That's okay. They all can't be good. So, but... I think uh, we'll probably wrap it up on that. And uh, I'm going to start the editing process on this, which is always a pleasure. <laughs> but um, 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and my previous ones. Um, again, if you want to help me and help the podcast, you can go ahead and write write a review, rate this on whatever platform you're listening to it on if that option is available. And uh, of course, if you see this on any of your, of your social media, feel free to to share it. All of that stuff helps. So, again, thank you very much for your time and. Uh, Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to me. And uh, I'm going to keep these things going. So I hope you all have a wonderful day or evening, whatever time of the day it is where you're at. And uh, remember, just stay awesome.